0: And we're Kermit's Kids. The Kids Talk. Your monthly graphic novel review. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening. As we review the Meta Barons in deep anticipation of Dune being released on the twenty second of October, and joining me today to review this very trippy, trippy work. Is Doc. Doc, how are you?
1: I'm excellent. How are you, Angus? Doing great, doing great, man. And, w- you know,
0: Metabarons, this work just exists on so many different levels and actually was a very long time coming for Yodorovsky. The Saga of the Meta Barons was created by avant garde Chilean film director and author Alejandro Yodorovsky about a dynasty of perfect warriors. It was drawn by Argentinian artist Juan Jimenez. And the series was published in eight books by Les Gimondes Associates between 1992 and 2003. So, wow, over a decade. Ah, uh, Doc, I... I'm at a loss for words in some instances, yet at the same time, there's too many words popping into my mind to describe this series. Before we dive into our Kirby kernel here, I gotta ask you, what were your general impressions of this work?
1: So I think the best way that I could put it into words is that as I was reading it, it wasn't my favorite thing I was reading, but I could not put it down. It was um, the just the 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 pure plot and the universe that's being built here and the characters are so wacky and both they're badass and they're wacky and they're crazy it was it was like kind of watching you know i I hate to use the comparison of a train wreck but it was kind of like the show the, the the writing itself is not a train wreck but it's like that it's that same thing where you just can't keep away from it and there was eight volumes and i would read you know i thought oh i I, I, I think it was like 48 pages for each one around and i figured oh it's probably gonna take me three sittings to get through each one of these and i would read one volume just right through and then i realized okay so i can't say i don't like this but i don't know what's going on So it's very hard to put into words what exactly it is. I like it. It's like I said, not my favorite, but Manera is just—he just does such a great job creating this universe and really giving you something that you don't find in like the mainstream comics. It's kind of incredible in some ways.
0: Well said, Doc. Well said. In this is quite epic, this saga. It truly is a saga. And now you're about to listen to the mental gymnastics that it took to weave the dune thread throughout this entire podcast as we dive into our Kirby kernel, a little kernel of knowledge about our namesake, Jack. Hey, Wilford, fire up the tractor. Time to harvest another Kirby Colonel. well doc over in our kirby kernel we're going to delve into the cosmic the science fiction side that is jack kirby and most likely wondering how in the world are we going to connect jack kirby and Yadorovsky? well let me tell you it's only going to happen here in three degrees we had jack kirby and stan lee create the silver surfer that herald for galactus very cosmic very sci-fi very epic in the history of Marvel. Then you had Stan Lee write for that same Silver Surfer character, but have French artiste extraordinaire Mobius do the fine illustrations for Silver Surfer Parable. Okay, now finally, our third connection. Mobius and Yodorovsky combined talents to bring to the comic book pages, the graphic novel pages, the ink hall. And that established the Yodaverse for Alejandro Yodorovsky. Mobius would play a big role in the development visually of the Dune movie project in the 1970s. And I will go into great detail on that one when we delve into a little comics archaeology, because there is a direct linkage, correlation between the Saga of the Mare Barons and Yodorovsky's passion project of the 70s trying to bring Dune to the silver screen. Now there's also another influence of Jack within the Meta Barons, and that is 2001 A Space Odyssey. This was a shared love that both Alejandro Jodorowsky and Jack Kirby had. Jack said that New Gods was partially inspired by his viewing of Stanley Kubrick's landmark film of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then he was thrilled to do the comic book adaptation of the film for Marvel, which then was spun off into its own series, which then we would have the birth of Machine Man, which is our kudos Kirby featured character for this entire year, was born out of that 2001 Space Odyssey comic series. Now, Yodorovsky said after viewing 2001 Space Odyssey that it was nearly a religious experience for him. Seeing what was on the movie screen in front of him And that that fueled his passion after seeing 2001 Space Odyssey to want to pursue the Dune film project. And then ultimately here, because his Dune never saw the big screen, the saga of the Meta Barons would then be born. So there is Jack in relationship to Jodorowsky and the birthing of this Meta Baron saga. And I can't help but think that Jodorowsky being aware of Jack Kirby also was inspired by Jack's work and it's interesting that these two creatives very different creatives had some similar linkage and relationships of things that inspired them.
1: Yeah, I think that's a perfect way of putting it. It you know definitely with that with that 2001 that sparked a lot of people, which was interesting because when when the movie first came out it was not a hit by any means. It was actually uh, a lot of people were disappointed. Um, I was too young when it first came out. My parents saw it in the theater and because you know you saw these The trailers for it and it was this huge sci-fi epic in space it's in the future we are you know we are out there and we're exploring and then the movie opens and they're in you know primate time they're in caveman times and people are like what the hell is going on with this movie (laughs) and uh but people like you know they saw from that early beginning all the way through to that really trippy end as like this path of enlightenment of like understanding the universe and things and that it was it was a very inspiring movie for a lot of people it's, you know for most people it was just like what the heck's going on here whereas for like these people that were looking for that kind of enlightenment looking for that place they saw it in that movie and it did it really sparked off and you could see elements of it here and there
0: doc outstanding you really hit upon something there and that iconic monolith and that opening scene with those primitive peoples you know some would say perhaps ape like with the bones and throwing them up in the air. And that, that imagery would spark so many creatives then moving forward. And, you know, that's no better transition than to enter into a little creative chatter about our writer, Alejandro Jodorowsky, and our prolific and really gifted artist, Juan Jimenez. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Shot. All right, Doc. Here we are. Alejandro Jodorowsky, also known as Alejandro Jodorowsky-Prulansky, he is a famous Chilean film director. With cult movies like El Topo and The Holy Mountain, he became an icon of counterculture cinema. Yadorowski was active in many artistic disciplines, among them poetry, novels, plays, music, mime, painting, sculpting, puppeteering, and yes, comics. He drew his own weekly comic strip, Fabulas Panicas, but has been more productive as a comic writer for various renowned French, Spanish, Italian, Mexican, Argentine artists. All of Yadorovsky's work is sparked by his interest in alchemy, tarot, Zen Buddhism, shamanism, and hallucinogenic drugs. Okay, there's no doubt about that last one. They give his work a surrealistic and futuristic quality with elements of mysticism, symbolism, and spirituality. He was born in 1929 in Chile and of Jewish and Ukrainian immigrants. And following an unhappy childhood, he found refuge in poetry and began his professional life in several creative occupations. This man is truly a globetrotter, as he then would head up to Mexico at one period of his time, and specifically settling in the 1960s in Mexico City, where he created his first comic book work. He debuted in 1966 as the writer of the futuristic saga Anibal 5, which was drawn by Manuel Moro for Editorial Novaro. He would then turn his own comics, such as the weekly Fabules Panicas feature in the Mexican magazine El Geraldo de México between 1967 and 1973. Then he jumps across the pond and in Paris made his first film, Les Têtes in also known as La Cravette, and based on the Thomas Mann novel, and I am going to butcher that one, but it is Die Verstand Kampf. His short was done entirely in pantomime and featured apart from the director himself, also Belgian and French comedian Raymond Devos, in a starring role. Now, he would do his next film. El Topo in 1970, and this was equally outrageous. Described as an acid Western, this picture follows a very loose plot thread. Boy, that's being generous. A cowboy dressed in black, played by Jodorowsky himself, roams through the desert. He encounters many bizarre people and experiences surreal and shocking events. Predictably, the film was a huge flop with mainstream audiences. However, it would become a hit in the midnight film craze that would happen in the 1970s. But theater owners noticed that that certain adults liked it, and they went ahead and put that into the mix. So you had El Topo up there, along with Rocky Heart Picture Show, as well as several others that would be the Midnight Flicks. And it actually started to build up a cult audience and helped to launch the Midnight Movie Phenomenon. Then, the erotic, violent, and blasphemous content of El Topo fit perfectly within the counterculture movement. It was made outside the studio system, and thus very anti-Hollywood. The picture broke several taboos and conventions. Teenagers and tweens liked the mystic and occult themes, mirroring their own search for self-fulfillment. Naturally, the trippiness made it a perfect stoner movie, and El Topo attracted celebrity fans such as... Now, this is the crazy part in all of this, or maybe not so crazy considering the time frame. John Lennon, George Harrison, Bob Dylan roger waters one of your heroes doc dennis hopper peter fonda and peter gabriel marilyn manson uh i mean the list just goes on and on including directors like david lynch nicholas winding rafine and samuel fuller were all influenced by it matter of fact john lennon in fact tried to bring el topo to bigger theaters and actually succeeded but after only a week, it was removed and brought back into the midnight movie circuit. El Topo remains a cult classic to this day. The fact that it wasn't commercially available on video until deep into the 2000s also added to its legendary reputation. So following that, Yodorovsky created other polarizing films, such as the mystical and mind-boggling Holy Mountain, which was partially funded by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Go figure. The film follows a thief and his seven spiritual advisors who want to climb a holy mountain in search of spiritual enlightenment. He's guided by an alchemist played by Yodorovsky himself. With a slightly higher budget and more satirical themes, Holy Mountain became his second best-known film and a cult classic, too. Now, what's also interesting is, due to all of this buzz, this would lead Yadorovsky to enter into the development of Frank Herbert's epic sci-fi novel Dune in 1975. Yadorovsky and Mobius would collaborate, actually, on the visual stylings. And there are some other big-name artists, too, which we'll get into during our Comics Archaeology segment. But they would continue their collaboration in 1978, creating comics, the Ink Hall, which this would finally bring Jodorowsky's Yodaverse to the comic book pages, essentially being the offshoot of what, visually speaking, Jodorowsky wanted to bring to the movie Dune since that project ended up getting shelved by the De and ultimately would fall into the hands of one David Lynch, who had been influenced by Yodorovsky to come out with the Dune film, which also has become a cult classic, the Lynch version, in 1984. Well, this just goes on and on and on, Doc, as far as Yodorovsky's background is concerned in comics. Ultimately, From the Ink Hall, he would do several other comics, but he is really, really, really known for the saga of the Meta Barons, this dynasty of perfect warriors, which we read. And that would make a significant imprint in the comics world. Now, where would he go to find a collaborator for the Meta Barons? Because Mobius' work in the Ink Hall is very distinctive, but Mobius was not available to... Do the Meta Barons due to other work commitments around this time. He was working and collaborating with others. So Yodorovsky finds Juan Jimenez. And Juan is an Argentine comic book artist from Spain who specialized in science fiction comics. And he really has been known for everything from books like. Lyaroa and Le Quatrime that established him in, in France. And then he would meet up with Yodorovsky and begin this over decade long journey of the epic of the Meta Barons. And Doc these two creatives together, really made some magic here with Meta Barons. They sure did. And the
1: art is phenomenal. And, well, which I know we'll get to, but it takes a step forward beyond the story because the art is just stunning in a lot of places.
0: It is, Doc. It is. And some of that imagery drawn by Jimenez was inspired by the 1970s Dune Project. And let's go ahead and delve into a little comics archaeology about the Dune Movie Project ...of the 1970s. I said, that, good man. What shoes have you done there? Comics Archaeology. Alright, folks. We have uncovered some incredible gems here... ...in Comics Archaeology... ...and the Dune movie project in particular. There's a fantastic documentary out there called yadarovsky's Dune, which I've viewed several times. It used to be available if you were a Prime member. I think the licensing ultimately expired. You can find the DVD or Blu-ray on Amazon and either purchase it there if you want a hard copy of it, or if you want to buy a digital copy, it's fairly inexpensive. And it might find its way back in circulation in some of the streaming services, particularly with the new Dune movie coming out here on the 22nd of October. But What's amazing about this Yadorovsky's Dune documentary doc is it captures how big the scope was of this epic that Yadorovsky wanted to bring Frank Herbert's epic novel in 1975 to the screen. He had brought so many creatives to the table based on what they were buying in on Yadorovsky's vision for this film. So here we go. This is like a who's who of who would be involved in transforming epic sci fi cinema in the late 70s and well into the 80s. H.R. Geiger, or Geiger, Chris Foss, and Mobius designed the sets and characters. Dan O'Bannon provided the special effects. David Carradine, Mick Jagger, Gloria Swanson, Salvador Dali, Amanda Lear, and Orson Welles would play major roles. The soundtrack would be composed by Pink Floyd. And this ultimate geek's wet dream, if you will, was, however, never realized. It might be actually been Yadorovsky's fever dream here. But the project fell through when most of the budget was spent on pre-production. Okay, I just rattled off all those names. Of course the budget was blown in pre-production. In 1984, the film would eventually be directed by David Lynch, but with way different contributors. And like I mentioned before, this documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune was made about this failed attempt in an adaptation in 2013. Doc, I clearly see after viewing this documentary, the beats and some of the visual stylings that would creep their way into Jimenez's work here visually. ...for the Meta Barons. And although this in no way, shape, or form... ...has a direct correlation to Frank Herbert's Dune at all... ...I definitely see, based on the families... ...and the ultimate warrior through the generations... ...storyline, which we'll get into very shortly... ...how there is some inspirational linkage... ...between Dune and Meta Barons. But make no mistake, this is a, if anything... At best, it's an inspired work, but truly it's an original vision by Yodorovsky, inspired by all of those influences of his leading up to what was being pulled together in the mid-1970s to try to bring Dune to the big screen. And it really is an interesting mashup of the things he chose to tap into. And frankly, I, I'm a big fan, and just view it as its own animal, of the Dune 1984 David Lynch movie. And I've, I'm on record saying, hey, that's like watching a gilded train wreck at times, because it is so beautiful. And, and, I, and I truly mean that as a compliment, where it may lack in storyline. And mind you, Lynch is on record saying that he was never, ever, ever satisfied with the cut of the film because he felt in order to do Doom justice, this had to be a multi-film epic. And he was only given one film and told to pare it down as try not to go over two hours. And that's nearly impossible.
1: It's just impossible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Yodorovsky in the documentary doc was saying he wanted to make a nearly 17-hour film. Okay, we know Hollywood would never would have gone for that, which really begs the question, when we're looking at the movie coming out now... And actually, this was brought up to me by our colleague JJ in a conversation recently. He says, you know what, it seems to me that Dune would be ripe for a streaming series because the saga is so dense and there's so much content there. But at least uh, Denis Villeneuve, and I don't want to get too much off topic here, is being afforded the opportunity to at least break this up into two very long films. So, you know, hopefully when we all go on the 22nd of October here to view the new Dune, there will be enough there as far as space to actually do some character development, build up a story that it will satiate not only the fans of the Frank Herbert novels, but all of us who have just a general interest in wanting to see Dune done right in a film.
1: It's interesting, you know, so, if, like, if Dune was like written in 2000, instead of 1965, I think they wouldn't, studios, would, and it had the big success still, I don't think studio would have hesitated to give it the Lord of the Rings treatment. Let's break this up into three long films and really give it and really give it the, the uh, attention it deserves. You were just talking about that, you know, it lost some of steam over the years as far as, let's make a movie, oh, we, we already lost our budget. Oh, uh, David Lynch, I'm not really happy with it. So it kind of lost a little bit of steam over, would still love to see if we could do the three, you know, the three movie treatment for it, but JJ like JJ said though, I think would be it's it's ripe for a really great extended series on Netflix or you know, one of those streaming services. That'd be fantastic.
0: Yeah, I agree, Doc. And there was an early attempt, I believe, in the two thousands, I think it was Sci Fi Channel, tried to do a yeah, tried to do a, a series there. And, you know, by fans of the the books, it received, at best, maybe lukewarm reception. I think a lot of folks were enthusiastic about it at the time because they were so desperate for something to resemble more the saga of the novel than what they had received in 1984. And, and mind you, I still, it is such a guilty pleasure. I love that Lynch film. But all that said, it did deviate and it is choppy with regard to the story but you brought up an excellent point because the original dune novel within that saga is divided up into three books within that saga within that tome but within there there's three books you could very easily make three movies one book each and in fact they're using that formula in the recent deployment of the graphic novel which is being overseen by and written by Frank Herbert's son, where they have split up the three books into three graphic novels. And I just did a review of the first version, the first graphic novel that came out, Dune. And that was spectacular, because it was very true to Frank Herbert's vision, and the writing and narrative was right on point with the first book within the Dune Novel, and it was just absolutely outstanding, and I can't recommend that one enough. But Doc, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive onto our literary aisle and discuss the saga of the Midabarons. Our land hole. There's our literary aisle. All right, folks, we've come over to the literary aisle. Wow, we have a lot to work with here. The Meta-Baron's this saga chronicles three generations, a lineage of these Meta-Baron warriors. It's told by Tonto to Lothar, and these are two droids, two robots, and they wait for the return of their master to the Metabunker. Initially, Tonto says that they've been waiting six months for their master to return, but later the story skips, at least three centuries ahead, this would seem to indicate that Tonto starts telling his story six months after the Meta Baron went searching for John DeFool in the block Incol. So here's the linkage, okay, between the Mobius work and now Meta Barons. But by the time he finishes telling the story, the events of the fifth essence, planet DeFool, have already happened. And that's why City Shaft is deserted and the Meta Baron is in another universe. Most of the story is narrated by Tonto. The first seven issues take place before the events depicted in and before the Inkhal. And you have Othan, the great great grandfather, Honorata, the great great grandmother, Agnar, the great grandfather, Oda, the great grandmother, Steelhead, the grandfather, Dona Vicenta Gabriela de Roca, the grandmother, Ahora. The grand, the, well, the father mother, and Nameless, the last of the Meta Barons. So, even the titles of these books that would then constitute the saga all have a generational feel to them from the get go in the title. Doc, let's delve into these stories in general. I think is a massive disservice if we go story by story by story, because I don't want to completely spoil it for folks if they've never read the series before. Yes, I know this came out in 1992 and ran to 2003, but you may be compelled to want to go purchase this Saga, which you can find digitally on Comixology, or The Hardback, which I know over on Amazon runs for around $40, to get the Anthology Tome. And it is a fun read as far as Uh, having a related work as you're getting excited about going to see Doom. All in all, what did you take from Yodorovsky's approach going generational? Was this compelling as far as a story is concerned of these Meta Barons, these ultimate warriors spanning these generations? And where do you think some of the misses occurred as it related to story and plotline?
1: Okay, first let me say that for the for the people listening, um, like yourselves probably, I never even heard of the Meta Barons until Angus kinda asked, Hey, why don't you read this so we can do the review? I you know, jumped all over it, of course. Having known that I didn't even know that it came from like this incal series. So I didn't know anything about this this universe. And so, with that being said, though, just starting to read the the Meta Baron saga, the story's contained, so you don't have to have all this background. I'm kind of like, you know, the, the background guy. I like to know what's going on and everything, but I didn't feel like I was missing too much by just jumping into this. So I like that about it. First off, that it was kind of like a self-contained series. The generational approach, I I actually kind of dug that. And sometimes, sometimes it gets a little sterile with the uh, with the writing because it feels like, you know, the like in early parts in the uh, in the New Test uh, in the Old Testament where it's like, you know so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so <laughs> and it kind of reads like that for a little bit the stories themselves and he develops these characters and the culture of the metabarons to a point where it you, you get really engrossed in it it's and because it's horrifying in the same sense that it's heroic in the same sense that it's this kind of like unbelievable some of the themes that are played in it as well as we all know i mean there's there's lots of talks about hermaphrodites and there's incest and there's i mean it's like it's kind of like if you took shakespeare brought him into the 60s, completely dosed him up with LSD, and he could write the Meta because <laughs> it's like it has all those tragic themes in it. I mean, when I was reading, I was like, I think he liked his Shakespeare, Jodorowsky. I think he enjoyed his Shakespeare because it's it, it comes very similar to that, just obviously in a whole different kind of setting. But I enjoyed that. I, did, I did really enjoy the writing in, in some parts, some parts that lost me completely, but I was never lost for long. He always brings you back into it because he you know, he has a, a tendency. I watched his El Topo and The Holy Mountain when I was in college, because I was a, a film minor. He does the same thing in his movies. He loses you, and then he quickly brings you back kind of into the fold so you don't get lost for too long. So it's a, it's fun to see that kind of reflected in his writing style as well. But the general original approach was fun because you you know what to expect in each book. You're gonna get the saga of, like for example, of Orth- Orthon, please follow me if I'm pronouncing these wrong. Uh, Orthon and Honorata, um, they're the ones that end up, you know, making and um, creating the new, the future new Baron Agnar. That's, so you know what to expect in each volume. So I kind of like that that structure of it. I also like comedy breaks that the uh, the Tanto and uh, Lothar kind of give us um, because it's kind of like the Laurel and Hardy of of the Cyborg world. I like guess kind of like a. C3PO C- C- and R2D2, 3- but there's a little bit more banter because they can both talk. And like he's always getting, one of them's always getting hit because he's actin- asking dumb questions and stuff. So and you kind of need, because some of this stuff gets pretty dark. So you need that little comedy relief once in a while. So I like that as well.
0: Yeah, Doc, you brought up a great point that it, this is very dark. And I want to say from the get go, this is a mature audience graphic novel. It, it, it brings the graphic to the graphic novel. There are no taboos in here, meaning nothing. Nothing is off limits and everything is out on the table, which is very indicative of Yodorovsky's film work. He's never shied away from being controversial. But as you brought up earlier, Doc, Yodorovsky was not controversial or shocking just for the sake of being controversial and shocking. He is truly seeking in his path in life enlightenment of some kind, and therefore feels the need to explore everything and bring it to the table. And he did not pull any punches that it relates to Meta barons. It is very violent. It brings on very what is not pleasant conversation topics and deals with them in very interesting ways. This book is not for the faint of heart at all, or if you're easily offended. However, it delves on so many different metaphysical planes that you can't help but deny that this is it is a piece of art that you can say that you know certain artists or shock artists just for the shock value. No, he actually has crafted here an artistic vision, relayed that to Jimenez, which we'll get into Jimenez's mind-blowing visuals in a moment, which are really the strength of this. And no offense to Yodorovsky. His story is very compelling. I saw very quickly the beat elements of what he got inspired by as far as Dune was concerned. The fact that you have this family drama here? Well, you have the various houses in Dune. You have the generational linkages in Dune happening. You That narration that would happen within the Dune novels, you're actually seeing aspects of that come to life here over on Meta but doing it in the context of this ultimate warrior uh, family. And I have to say, the feel of this is an incredible mixture of not only science fiction from laser fire, blaster fire, but you actually have scenes here of folks in armor wielding swords uh, mind you they're high-tech swords but they're swords There's shields here so it, it, there is a high level of fantasy happening in here fantastic elements medieval fantastic elements happening here there's a, a code if you will a warrior code that comes through in these books and it is in an, an amazing mashup of technology, medieval swordplay, maybe even some swordplay from uh, the Far East if you want to talk about Ronin or samurai films. I mean, it's an amazing cross-cultural mashup of influences here that Yodorovsky brings to the Meta Barons, that it somehow works, and it worked well for me. But boy, it, it, it is different, and it is unlike anything that I have ever read before. It is truly an original.
1: It is. I, I think the the Far East is a is a great comparison because even even the Meta Baron strict code of honor, it, it's called the uh, the Bushitaka, which obviously, I mean, it's definitely coming from the word Bushido. Yeah, Bushido. I don't think he's like trying to hide the fact that he's borrowing the word Bushido and kind of changing it around for his own book. I think he wants that. I think he wants you to have that kind of idea in your head because a lot of people are familiar with the code of the Bushido. It's an interesting take, and I can just imagine he was sitting down saying, "Okay, if I'm going to make." like the ultimate warrior cast what what are they going to do what are they going to be about and everything and like you said sometimes it's sometimes it's hard to read this figuring of children to test their pain levels and, and things and then they get you know if they survive it and they and they do well then they get the reward of having whatever whatever was taking off of them <laughs> during the the right was uh was replaced by the cyborg enhancement and then they have the horrible operation where they put those little nuclear warheads in them in case it ever comes down to it and they can just blow themselves up and take out everybody around them but his mind i guess. just see him just like having a lot of fun with writing this, knowing, you know, seeing some of his movies and things and how out there he can be. But it all makes like this really weird kind of sense when you're reading the books. Um, And it's amazing because, you know, you just think it's like, okay, when, for example, like when Orthon, when he gives birth, you know, to his son, he knows right then and there that eventually his son's going to try to kill him because that's the way that's the way it goes to become dubbed the new meta baron the son has to kill the father and if doesn't then the father kills the son so it, it's it's a pretty interesting to live like you know just imagine that you know, you're you're growing up and you're knowing i'm going to have to kill my father one day or vice versa this is my son that i'm training and i'm basically training him to kill me so it's like it's that mindset that these warriors have it doesn't nothing matters victory and strength and honor and all these things that's what matters more than family but there's also this really strong kind of familiar thread that goes throughout the generations which is you know really weird it's like you would think eventually you'd be like ah, i'm not gonna have any more kids it may have been agnar or it was steelhead that really has this this strong urge to have a son because that's the way you do things the contrast in these different plot lines are, are really really interesting and, and going back to like you said like with his with his movies you know Nowadays, movies sometimes are made to shock people and I, I find that boring. If if you're making something like over like a horror movie, for example, and it's overly gory or something, and it doesn't really mean anything. It's just shocking, and it's like, ah, okay, you know, whatever. You know, good good effects or whatever they are. But, you know, he was making his movies, and I really think he was making his comic books. Not just to be shocking, but to be, like, insightful. And to be, like you said, that 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 path to enlightenment. You can see that with this. It's like the, the final one, no, the Nameless, who was the last Meta Baron. He takes this big journey towards enlightenment in his own way. I don't think the word enlightenment's ever used, but that's where he's going towards. They always talk about light. I think he created a really cool world that doesn't always make sense. But like I said earlier, like when we introduced it, I guarantee you are gonna read the whole thing because it'll just suck you in and you're like, what the hell's gonna happen next? That's kind of what I was like. I'm like, I gotta see what happens next.
0: <laughs> Doc, I was right there with you, and in order to see you know what would happen next, I, I latched on to the see. I actually want to visually see what's about to happen next. I actually found the visuals that much more compelling that I had to turn the page to see how Jimenez was going to blow my mind next. But I want to backtrack to something that you mentioned earlier, and that is, you know, the testing of these young children to see if they would be strong enough, if they were worthy enough to be that ultimate warrior. You know, that is not unlike the dune Gom jabbar test that Paul Atreides undergoes by the Bene Gesserit reverend mother named Gaius. You know, that right there is an inspirational beat that I can't help but think that Yadorovsky got inspired by. And mind you, I know that there are other books that talk about testing the worthiness of children and grooming them to be you know, the next in line to take over the duties in the house and stuff. But again, we're talking about a work here that was inspired by work done in preparation for putting on the big screen an epic film called Dune. And that just popped into my head the moment I saw that going on in this book. I was like, oh, okay, this is Paul's Gamjabar test, but on roids, to see if what was going out on here. And then the ultimate test being, like you said before, can the next generation defeat the current generation to then take the mantle? And very much a strong theme in this book. And the loyalty to go ahead and continue on the line. I think that's very strong, too, and that that importance. The mixture here of the epic and the old, along with the new, I mean, we have scenes here of people riding horses still. So the fact that horses are still employed, and mind you, it's more of a recreation than it is a practical standpoint, because you've got large ships up there in space, and you've got people with blasters, but you also have folks invoking swordplay, and actually shooting conventional arrows in some instances within these pages. So this really harkens back to the mixed genre that was science fiction and fantasy in the 70s and in the 60s, there really wasn't this fine line or distinction between what was science fiction over here and then what was fantasy over there. They really mashed up an awful lot of the time and were given the moniker of all being called science fiction or being called sci-fi fantasy. It wasn't until we began to draw lines, and I call it the categorization or segmentation of audiences, that really happened in earnest in the 80s because you had the Conan films coming out, you had the uh, Dragon Slayer coming out, we were coming off of the animated productions of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, you know, the Ralph Bashke and the Rankin and Bass stuff, and then you had animated things like Fire and Ice, and you know, it, but, but then you had a mashup film like Krull. Krull is a prime example of both science fiction and fantasy coming together, swordplay and lasers, so lasers and swords there, if you wanna just call that a genre, which it has been called a genre by many. Jodorowsky in this Yodaverse is very much steeped in not segmenting the audience, but mashing the best elements up into this fine gumbo of a comic book epic. And, you know, Jodorowsky does it on a, a very, very epic scale. Now, when we get into the art here, Doc, we could be here for three more hours, me praising Jimenez's work, but I'm gonna give you the first crack at it. What did you take away from Jimenez's work here? What do you feel Juan did to make this book so very, very special? And let's put this on the table. This is pre-digital art, folks. This is all hand-drawn rendered. This is all pencils. This is all hand-coloring and just, it's, it's epic. Doc, take it away.
1: I, th- I think he just said it best. It's epic. It is. It's stunning artwork. I will I will say that um, if Meta Baron's was, was just a novel, I probably wouldn't have finished it. But the fact that the art involved with it, it is, he couldn't have found a better partner to, to do the drawings for this, the artwork. Because he captured everything that Yoda was was talking about and what, he, you know, what he was, the story that he was unraveling and everything. And uh, Jimenez's art, it's, I mean, you just have to see it to really understand... I, I'm almost beyond words um, words for this, but there's big splash pages. We see, you know, of both action on outside in space with these huge elaborate spaceships, and there's ones, that, big splash pages um, of just action that's going on. You have these huge battles that take place, and uh, you can spend... You can spend an hour on the page just looking at all the little details, and it, it is, it's just stunning in some parts. And, and some of the stuff that I'm sure as <laughs> was like telling Jodorowsky, slow down with some of the weird stuff, you know? Like, I, I, I don't know if I can get this. <laughs> he got it. He captured everything because he captured every little weirdness. Steelhead, for example. I mean, I wasn't envisioning that's what Steelhead was going to look like, but my god, it's a, it's a beautiful characterization of, of who he is. So I, I thought it was just perfect. I thought it was that Absolutely perfect. The uh, the artwork it really complemented what he was writing. You will you will find yourself probably more engrossed in some parts with the artwork than the actual story.
0: Yep, you will. You absolutely will. And I think there are there are many, but I'm just going to point out three areas of focus when you're taking a look at Juan Jimenez's artwork here in Metabarians. First is the human form. There is a lot of celebration of both male and female forms throughout this entire book to very explicit detail. And there's you know no apologies for it because it is all contextually relevant based on the story. I never felt at any one time that there was a piece of art in any of these panels that was exploitative because it was just being put up there for the sake of interest titillation, you name it. No, it was all relevant to the plot line. And once you realize that, you go, okay, wait a second. This is being very tastefully done.
1: How I think the art completely matched up with with what, you know,
0: Yodorowsky was was
1: talking about. There's a huge theme in uh, the Meta Barons with this, with uh, hermaphrodites and with this kind of dual sexuality and dual gender. And and it was, uh, there's this one cast of the priestesses that are really powerful cast in the universe, in this universe at least. They're like, their chosen one is going to be this baby that is born a hermaphrodite. And so uh, a princess, I believe it was Princess Oda, I believe. Uh, Yeah, Princess Oda, she was sent to the Meta Baron to basically have this baby this hermaphrodite baby born. And then Oda ends up falling in love with the Meta Baron and and things don't turn out quite like the priestesses want. Um, but then there's a later thing where we get this kind of like the, another one female inhabits, for lack of better words, not not the words they used in the series, but um, like her spirit, basically, she infuses it into another female character because the other thing. And then the Meta Baron and her have, have sex to make the next incestual thing, again, calling, hello, Shakespeare and Freud and all these other jokes that you can insert here. But it was kind of like it was not sex, but it wasn't. And there's a lot of these themes that go on. And, and Jimenez, he just, he just grabs this art he never he never is exploitive about it it's just he does such a great job with with finding that balance of you know he he may flirt with a a little bit of exploitation but it never falls into straight up exploitation it really matches beautifully with, with what's being done those kinds of things it just he uh he just steals the show like this the story is the story it's it is amazing and it is really engrossing and what he does with these generational leaps and all the inner workings, but the uh, the artwork was what for me um, it really really stood out. That. That That's what made me want to keep reading it
0: is the art. It was really beautiful. Yeah, Doc, you brought up a, a great point there as far as not only your reflections on the art, but the chosen one being named out. This is yet another piece of Dune inspiration uh, when I read that as far as this hermaphrodite a child being born and being the chosen one. That's essentially Yodorovsky's version of the Quitzak Haderach or that chosen one that, again, they're always testing for in Dune to happen. So that's essentially Yodorovsky's version of the Kuitsek Haderach. That's a theme, a very central theme here within the Meta Baron. So yes, although not Dune, again, far from it, there are inspirational beats that for sure come from Yodorovsky's experience in developing Dune in 75 to actually be a feature film.
1: Another big one for me was, another
0: kind of Dune connection there was the Epiphyte which
1: was the original planet? It was on the original planet Marmala, I believe it was called. This is an anti-gravity substance that they would use to. They would cut these big blocks of marble, and the people that were buying the marble they never knew how the Metabarons got these this marble into the ships and everything, because they would always do it at nighttime, and they were using this some this this thing called epiphyte, which was it was a anti it was an anti-g kind of liquid, and they would inject it into things, and it would just float up. And I kind of looked at this as kind of like the spice because it was this. it was this amazing technology that was being kind of suppressed by this one group. And then once it was discovered, and they had to, there was something happened. The meta barons had to tell them what it was. And as soon as the other these other empires found out about it, there was an immediate war over it like a huge immediate war that was fought over this epiphyte. So I kind of
0: I kind of saw that as like kind of like another nod to the spice, how that kind of sparks everything off in Dune. Absolutely, Doc. That is the spice melange within the Meta Barons. There is no doubt in my mind about it, and you, you hit that right on the mark. Absolutely. Again, another inspirational beat uh, that was utilized by Yodorovsky. When we're looking at the art, we, we touched upon the human form. Now let's look at the form of the world. It is spacious. There are so many different lands and planets and cultural beats that Jimenez seized on. And I can't help but think that he had to have been exposed to Yodorovsky's pitch book for Dune, the movie, and got certain looks and feel from that star studded cast of artists who helped render those initial planets, though the ships the atmosphere, but Jimenez then made it his own. There is no doubt about it. I've seen that artwork, that mock-up work for the Dune movie, and I look at Jimenez's work, and Jimenez's work is a fully realized world. And I see the structure of the ships and things, and I go, okay, I know where that came from, but man, I really love how Jimenez evolved that theme and turned it into something that just pops off the page. Uh, His page usage and his splash pages are just awe-inspiring. They truly are. And, you know, the, the dialogue here on the pages, I wish there was less of it, because I truly feel that Juan's drawings here stand on their own and tell the story beautifully. So, a little more visuals, a little less dialogue, and then I think you've got the balance in really good stead for an incredible graphic novel experience. Though, that being said, it it all has meaning, meaning I don't believe that Yodorovsky put anything frivolous in the dialogue bubbles at all, but uh, there was some stuff that just could have stood on its own frankly. Now, there is another element here, art-wise, besides the, the world and the vastness of space and these just epic-looking ships, but I, I'm going to call this brand of art the mystical. I think Jimenez delves into the mystical here very effectively. In particular, you know, the single drop of blood that then starts the process of the formation of the Meta Baron. So, you know, because of the inability to, to procreate, there's drop of blood that then turns into to this miracle child. And any time that the mystical elements are rendered on the page, I truly feel Jimenez takes us to a different dimension, a different place outside of what the Meta-Baron's universe is. And to that degree, he is to be lauded for that effort, because it is so distinct what he has built here on the pages, as far as this world's concerned, to give me a different look and feel whenever we're having an event happen that is of a mystical or spiritual nature, I, I again, it, he does a fantastic job in that. I, I'm i now losing words to describe how, how effective he was at it. Other than just to say, you got to read this for yourselves. You got to see this for yourselves.
1: Something else I really loved with his artwork too was, because, you know, a big theme is obviously losing limbs and getting cybernetic limbs on there. And I love the way his art was. He incorporated like the flesh and like, the, the flesh and the mechanical together it doesn't it doesn't just look like a mechanical arm on his body it really became like part of the body, and that's what it was supposed to be that was the technology of the metabarons to create this you know this arm after it was torn off of you to test your pain threshold that would become part of you the artwork it's so I, the way he does and i don't know if it's like the softer edges he uses in some of his artwork but he really merges like flesh and machine together really really nicely in a lot of the artwork that, that's something that when i was when i was going through it it just kind of stuck out to me like okay it's not so jarring that you have this big metahuman with these big muscles and all of a sudden he has this, you know, mechanical arm on the right side. No, it was like everything kind of just blended together and it's uh, it's really hard to describe. I'm not doing a good job describing it, but just the way he incorporates and merges together flesh and machine, I thought was really, really incredible in the artwork.
0: Yeah, I agree, Doc. And it was something that, frankly, when I saw for the first time, I was a bit shocked by, and shocked because of so, how incredibly well it was rendered, but also felt that, okay, you know, this is really hearkening back to something that I maybe would have read in Heavy Metal Magazine. Uh, h- however, this is this is eight novels within an epic saga. You know, eight graphic novels within an epic saga. So kudos to to them. And it shows that they took their time. This is an 11-year project. And they took their time to get things right from not only a visual styling perspective, but then also matching that up with the relevant events in the story. So I, I truly don't feel there was something explained in the graphic novel that then didn't get Depicted visually on the pages, so there there's none of these off-screen things that were brought up to date on. E- even when we're talking about the interactions between the two droids or two robots, with. Uh, Tonto and his uh, sidekick there, they are actually commenting on events that you're about to witness in the book, or it's that lighthearted banter back and forth between the two to basically give you a break as a reader. Because it, th- this is so intense, and even the the monsters and the aliens in this book are just so over the top and vicious at that. I mean... I can see where Giger's renderings, which you would first see to a mass audience in the original movie Alien, would end up influencing some of the aliens that would exist here in the Meta universe. And even some of the looks of some of the ships that you see in outer space and some of these aliens would be flying could have easily been inspired by some of that artwork which was to be used in that failed attempt to bring Dune to the screen. It, it's, again, just it, exquisite work. And I would highly encourage anyone who ever had a curiosity about reading this graphic novel or now after listening to us is is inspired to go seek it out, just go do it. Just go do it. And, and although this is not Dune, far from it. It is its own thing. If you are a fan of Dune, you will see the inspirations. You will see how those inspirations... turned into something different. You will be entertained by a very epic, multi-generational story, but more than anything else, you will be blown away by the artwork. But all, keeping in mind, the subject matter is all adult. It is very graphic. I I can't emphasize that enough. This is bringing the graphic to graphic novel. If you do have certain topic uh, sensitivities, you've been warned. Uh, You know, everything is on the table there. But I say again, it is all relevant to the narrative and never just done for the sake of wanting to shock someone or turn someone's stomach. It all has meaning to it. Yeah, I think that's that's perfectly said, and it is.
1: It is. Um, I think, as like you said, every, everything—not just the villains and stuff, but everything's over the top. The spaceships are so incredibly drawn and they're so big it's like you know that part of you that rational side of you goes they could never build something that big in space there's so incredible detail involved in them that's what's so incredible is the amount of detail he puts into everything and i'm not bashing modern days but with the you know computer renderings you have some very common things that you see in backgrounds happening you know when um in your current like batman series or whatever but in this one he puts so much detail into everything that you're gonna you'll, you'll find your eyes going around i'm actually considering going and finding um, a hard copy of these so i can really really see that artwork uh, as it was meant to be seen like holding it in my hands because it's it's that incredible you would uh, i think you'll agree when you when you check this out like angus says you know just be just be warned that there is some graphic content in there and themes so yeah this is definitely not meant for the 13 and under group for sure this is definitely the mature reading and uh, but it's a great story it is not dune i know i'm just repeating what uh, uh, angus said but it is not dune but it is something that i think is just as great but he made something of his own, and I think it's—I think it's definitely worth a read.
0: Doc, that's a fantastic recommendation, and I wholeheartedly agree. And I will just make one last reflection on Jimenez's artwork. I am presently looking at an incredible splash page. It is a two-page centerfold that Jimenez completely threw panel management convention out the window. And this thing is drawn from one page to the other center fold on a diagonal. And it sequentially goes left to right, top to bottom along that diagonal. That just gives you an example of how you are treated to a visual experience here by reading Metabarons. and it's all epic and it's all effectively using the horizontal to depict epic but doing it on a diagonal and it's mind-blowing it's absolutely mind-blowing so with that doc i want to thank you for coming in and reviewing this epic work Barons. and if there is one last word you'd like to say on the subject please go right ahead
1: nothing that i, I would probably haven't talked about already it's a, it's definitely this grand scope i was a little disappointed with the very end of it because it was obviously leading into a new chapter or a new volume so i was a little disappointed that i wanted to see a little bit more closure at the end with with nameless but his adventure was going on so um, I, I get that i understand that they wanted to keep this thing going probably that was the only thing that I was a little bit disappointed with but everything else i was really surprised i honestly i went into it not thinking this was going to be my cup of tea but between The storytelling and definitely, obviously, the artwork. It was something that really grabbed me. And I really liked in the uh, the introduction on each volume, there's an introduction of the two robots talking. And then they refer to the meta, what do they call them? The meta writer, Alejandro Yodorowski, and the paleo artist, Juan Jimenez. And the robots are talking about that they found this work by these two amazing people and they're going to share the story with us. So I thought that was pretty, you know, nice tongue in cheek kind of move from Yodorowski. But uh, I think this is definitely worth a read. If, um, you know, again, beware of the content please be age appropriate with it but uh, i think you're gonna like it it's something very different and i ended up really enjoying it for many different reasons mainly artwork but i also really enjoyed the story too because it is such such epic in scope i um, mean it has all those classical greek tragedy elements to it it has different situations like a shakespearean situations to it it's just a fun story that, that definitely gets dark but in the long run it's it's just a fun story
0: we're Irby's kids Hey, and...